everybody. Welcome to another episode of Something to Say. Um, this is a bit of a grab bag, uh, and we wanted to first start off with some responses to a couple episodes back. Um, in case you haven't heard, we did an episode called Inner Feelings, where Ja had us create five song EPs kind of based around like what we got going on in that particular moment because music wasn't speaking to us, at least music that was being released at that time wasn't really speaking to us. And we got a lot of thoughtful responses actually. So we wanted to shout those out real quick. Let's see, we over we have, um, first of all, I want to shout out Jalen over at Patreon. You know, he just said the way y'all ended this episode provided some much needed levity, great idea jaw with how to feel the feels through playlist. Uh, so shout out to Ja for that. Feelings. Sure. Yes. That's all I got for you. I had nothing else. Okay. <laughs> got you. <laughs> and then we had a couple folks actually make their own playlist. So we have Robbie. And I'll walk you through his real quick. Uh, it kicks off with The Feel by Little Brother. Segs into the space program featuring by a tribe called Quest. You got So Help Me God by Fonte, Mrs. Morganfield and Mrs. Waters by Cunning Linguist, mm. and then Hymnal by Open Mike Eagle. Just like really thoughtful. Like it seems like for him in general that this has also been a year of just like reflection and recalibration and things like that. So shout out to Robbie for creating his own playlist. Yeah, that, that's, then, that's a pretty thoughtful list. Like that's not just like a random random songs that I just threw together for that, that came to my mind first. Like those sound like really specific songs. Yeah. Intricate playlist. Yeah. 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 Very intricate playlist. For sure. For sure. And then we have Andrew who, um, posted on his own blog. He even gave his a title called into the gray, but it's spelled G R A E after the Moses Sumney album, mm. which I thought was really dope. And the way he justifies it is he says that Moses talks about, you know, change and multiplicity all throughout that particular album. And that's what sort of came to inform his five song selection. Society tells us that there's only two sides to be on, but we need to get back to all being on one team, i.e. the human race, which I thought was like, whoa. So the songs he had on were Firestarter by Kenny Mason, uh, Calligraphy by Saba, until I Bleed Out by The Weeknd, Stop Them by Salt, and then 1000, N.E.R.D. featuring Future. Mm. I like that. I enjoyed that N.E.R.D. album. Maybe everyone, I, don't, I feel like everyone wasn't really all the way on board. This, this being the most recent one, right? Yeah, the one that came out, 20, what was that, 2018? 18? Yeah, I yeah. want to say it was 2018. I remember the hype. There was anticipation around it, but I feel like it came and went. 2017. Okay. Damn, it okay. was You sure it was 2017? No One Ever Really Dies, right? Yeah. No One Ever Really Dies came out December 15th, 2017. The only reason I have it remember, I thought it was 18, but I guess 17 does make sense because that was the year I saw... Uh, I was at, uh, I almost called it Comic-Con. I was at ComplexCon that year when, uh, at their concert, at the NERD concert, and Pharrell put on a hell of a show. But after that concert, I met DeRay McKesson for the first time randomly in the hallway, and then DeRay McKesson randomly introduced me to MC Hammer. 
So that's why I always oh, no, 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 not randomly. You have to remember it verbatim. How do you just randomly? We walked out of the nerd concert. I saw DeRay. I said, yo, what's up, DeRay? He said, yo, what's up, man? I said, my name is Ja. I work at Boss Up. He said, oh, that's what's up. He said, do you know Hammer? I said, Hammer who? He said, MC Hammer. He grabbed him by the elbow and pulled him over and said, MC Hammer. This is it. And I was like, what's up? What's up, MC Hammer? And we said, what's up? And we all kept it moving. Like, So, yeah, that's my weapon. That's that's my no, story. I'm just. I'm just asking whether MC Hammer also reads Boss Up. Perhaps. I have no idea. We didn't even have a conversation about it. <laughs> maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe he does, and I just haven't checked his Twitter profile to see if he's following us or not. But I'm kind of tripping off. Amazing. Do you know Hammer? Like, how many that, situations but that's, okay, but that's can the funny you be part. in? Was someone <laughs> asked that question? <laughs> Where you just, well, apparently what I was told was, David Dennis actually told me that Dre did the same thing to him somewhere else. And it was, I forget who the celebrity was, but it was somebody like super famous. But I guess that's his thing. Like if he doesn't, maybe he's doing it out of courtesy. Maybe it's just like a muscle memory thing. But he asked you, do you know such and such person? And it's like, no, I don't know Kelly Rowland. But like, I know who Kelly Rowland is. Oh, here's Kelly Rowland. Like, so I guess that's his way of like introducing people. Hey, do you know okay. MC Hammers? Like, I mean, I could see that from when you're out and about in Atlanta, you're going from one backyard party right, to yeah, another yeah, backyard, yeah, yeah. Everyone, one function right. to another function. Like everybody in Atlanta, music journalism, blah 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 blah. But Hammer, ha- listen, <laughs> you asked for verbatim and you got verbatim. That's, that's the man said. The man said, "Do you know MC Hammer?" And I said, "No, I do not know MC Hammer." And he says, "Here, here's MC Hammer." I said, "Oh." This All is right. why we ask follow-up questions on the something to say because I really needed that story. <laughs> that, was, that was great. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Absolutely. Other, other than the Nerd album and that concert, it was a total segue that has nothing to do with anything else we're talking about for the rest of the day. Christina, please carry on. <laughs> I mean, so we're, we are talking about a lot. Um, I guess first, we want to address the Kanye situation and actually going into this conversation. I didn't know which Kanye situation we were talking about. Because <laughs> Kanye has been doing a lot. <laughs> so many Kanye he, conversations. We can talk about the fact that he is spending millions attempting to get on presidential ballots. We could talk about how he's trying to walk on water here in Georgia with Joel Austin paying witness. But no, today we're going to be talking about the fact that he posted what 113 pages of various contracts on Twitter. La, 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 wait till I give my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I woke, I spent that on a necklace. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard not to act reckless. Never seen nothing like that before. In the history of music relationships, I've never seen a contract exposed. Because when you consider how labels and artists, there's always been friction. There's always been, I'm not being treated fairly. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. Expressing disdain for your label is not new. Sharing contracts that showcase what your deal is, I've never seen that before. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen a lot of 
uh, contract arguments, contract disputes, a lot of not even just amongst artists, but just industry people on Twitter, managers, <clears throat> excuse me, managers, producers, other people having, you know, contract conversations about what's a good contract, what's a bad contract. And I've never seen anyone really <laughs> PDF the files and like <laughs> post the entire contract on Twitter. No, did I guess my first immediate question was in regards to like why he posted the contracts, right? So he is posting it basically to say um, that the music industry is just another slave shit and he's not trying to do business anymore on this slave shit. So this is like an act of protest for him. Am I getting that much correct? Sounds right to me. Makes okay. sense to me too. I So what I have to wonder is what exactly made Kanye feel like he wasn't being treated fairly. I, Because when looking at the contracts and what he was being granted, it kind of seemed like, I, you know, I thought of The Last Dance, honestly. I thought of- Michael Jordan's Last Dance or The Last Dance, Julia Stiles and the random black guy whose name I cannot remember. You know what would be really funny? Because it's pertaining to me, that would actually be a genuine question. Um, <laughs> Julia Stiles' Stiles version is in play when we're talking about The Last Dance. Fair enough. I am actually talking about the Michael Jordan documentary. Okay. Um, because by episode two, um, you were getting a glimpse into Scottie Pippen's life. And it's specifically about the fact that Scottie Pippen is the number two player in the NBA period. And that is cause worth of celebration, except he negotiated a bad contract at the start of his career, right? Yes. It's about it's about the fact that he is being severely underpaid given his worth, given you know how much of an asset he is to the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan, blah, blah, blah. So in watching that episode, I felt really bad for him because honestly, like growing up playing basketball, I identify with Scottie Pippen because I wasn't doing the star making shit. I was doing like the grunt work, like rebounds and, and all the and the assists. That's like hard work to make Michael Jordan look good. Jordan like character look good. Exactly. So I felt really bad until you're talking 18 million dollar numbers. And at some point I was just kind of like, that's still $18 million. Yeah. And I feel like with Kanye, it's a similar situation. Like, sure, he doesn't own his masters or sure, like maybe he's vying for some other level of freedom. And I do think that the music industry needs a lot of work in order to grant artists more freedom. But when you're talking Kanye, you're still talking in the millions of dollars of leeway and budgets that he's being granted. So in that respect, I don't feel bad for him. It's terrible. Well, I guess part of, I guess kind of piggybacking off that is like, what did he, what plans did he have that made him feel like now I need my master's? I'm not saying that, I don't know what he's been doing behind the scenes all these years. Maybe he's been trying to get his master's back and he just has been unsuccessful doing it the quiet way. And so now he's being really loud about it. Because he feels like you've, you know, uh, rebuffed all my other attempts to try to figure out this business deal. So now I'm just going to be ignorant and be back to, you know, telling Taylor Swift 
I'm gonna let you finish, but but also it's kind of like Yeezus came out in what 2013, 12. I mean, he had a song called New Slaves on his album a long time ago. So it just kind of makes me feel like why not? Like what what is it that's going on right now that is making you feel this way? Is this are you really on this? Or are you just going through a moment of, you know, you know how Kanye seems to be kind of not absent-minded, but he like locks on to a thing and that's his thing for like X amount of time until he locks on to some other thing. And now I'm over here doing this. So is this just his crisis of the moment kind of thing? Or is this something that he's really going to try to see through? Because what he's talking about, you know, even people who I know that have given up on Kanye West have looked at some of the things he said and said, you know, I don't really fuck with him, but he does make sense X, Y, Z here. Like Hit Boy went on a long rant on his Instagram page um, against Universal Music Publishing and talking about how, you know, they had him locked into this publishing deal since he was, you know, a little kid and he's produced all of these huge records and, you know, he's not seeing what he feels like he's supposed to be seeing from that situation. And so um, I think he started off his rant saying, I don't fuck with Kanye as a human being or something to that degree, but here's where X, Y, Z is the truth. So, you know, I'm not saying that there's no substance to what he's saying, because clearly there are people that agree with him, but it's just like, it's interesting when you get a good message from a quote unquote bad messenger. I think that's the key, because right now Kanye is yet again a polarizing figure, but almost for the complete opposite reasons that he was polarizing when we first got to know him. Well, let me say that I believe Kanye has been talking about getting back his masters for a while now, at least two years. It's not something that he's the most consistent about. But I believe he's been in and out of court trying to figure out his publishing, trying to figure out what he can get from the label as far as his masters, what they can negotiate. Why? Who knows? Partially, I believe that Kanye, like most artists, they start their careers with one goal in mind, to be the biggest artist. And then once you obtain that, then you start to learn what the limitations are to being the biggest when you sign record deals, when you sign publishing deals. Around those limitations, especially when you're someone as big and as brash as Kanye, you start to feel constricted. So obviously you lash out. What I'm fascinated by is Kanye understanding how polarizing he is what is he really going to do for artists after him? Let's say he does get his master's back. At this point, being such a, a, a voice for this, I feel like you will have the responsibility of making sure that other artists have the opportunity to not be in the position that you are right now. He talked about getting Taylor back her master's. Okay, but what about everyone else? Like, how are you going to build something that allows everyone fairness? Because I do agree with Christina when she's saying that Kanye's wealth and what he was able to accumulate on the monetary side, still in the millions. Like you're still eating. Everyone's still 
taken care of. But you do deserve your masters. You deserve what you create. You deserve your IP. But it's not just you. Like, this just can't be a you issue. This is an everybody issue. This is an industry issue. Because if this is a problem for you, it's a problem for all. And that's what I want to see. Are we going to like move in the direction of, all right, if this is an issue for Kanye, this is an issue for every single artist coming in and out the game. So what can we do to, to change the rules here? If we're going to change the rules. And if you're going to go to bed for somebody, what are, we, what are we talking about? We're just sharing contracts at this point. That's not going to change anything. But it just can't change for Kanye. It has to change for everybody. Well, if you're going to go to bat for somebody, I'd much rather him go to bat for other artists who aren't Taylor Swift to that yeah. point. Hit I mean, not, not, not because it, of the it. Taylor Swift thing, but like, yeah, like go fix it with your people, with us. Like Taylor Swift is going to be fine. Like <laughs> I'm sure Taylor Swift is pissed off about how her contract is and her master's. But Taylor Swift is super good. Like, there's a bunch of other artists out here who probably don't have their masters, who could really use their masters right now, who aren't super good. So, like, maybe start there. If you, you know, even if this is an attempt to, like, buy back goodwill to make people, you know, even if this is a PR stunt, let it be a PR stunt that actually does something. Like, I mean, you know, if take a page out of your wife's book. Like, even if you're, even if her getting prisoners released from jail is a PR stunt, at least it's getting people out of jail who are going home to their families who are, you know, unjustly incarcerated or whatever the case is. And if it's a PR stunt, it's a PR stunt and you can castigate her all you want to, but at least something good came out of it, not just your own benefit. It was a good deed regardless. It was a good deed regardless. Yeah. For sure. For sure. The other thing I want to say about Kanye is that prior to all this, um, Kanye gets sued by this company. I want to say it was a tech company for work that they did for spring 2018 for his Yeezus show. Mm -hmm. And basically the allegations were like, you didn't pay us. Right. You, You just didn't pay us. And this is something that I've heard. I'm I mean, chalk it up to rumors, I guess. But this is something that I've heard from Kanye quite a bit is that he ropes in like a lot of people. He gets a lot of people to work with him because he has all this influence. He's fucking Kanye West. But then he just doesn't pay people. And somehow and that's what that kind of behavior leads me to believe that he's just doing this purely for selfish reasons, as if he just decided one day to review the contracts and all of a sudden he decided, oh, I don't like that shit. When did I sign up for this? Blah, 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 blah. And I can't help but think he's doing this for his own gain because anybody who's really felt the pinch should understand and have the empathy for people that are trying to come up and are trying to get what's theirs. And if you can't pay people in the first place, I mean, Mike called that Trumpian behavior. And that's true because Trump had that exact same reputation. Like he had fucking hotel rooms and like he always photographed himself in like these gold ass ballrooms and guess what he hated paying people he said tough luck contractors contractors building things doing jobs that he pulls out of in the middle of and says you want your money come sue me it's probably going to cost you triple to sue me than it would be than whatever it is i owe you and you're not going to do that and one day i'll come around and offer you 32 cents on the dollar (laughs) and settle with you in court for all the money that i owe you like some there's some real like there's some real trickster shit going Mm -hmm. on with that dude but yeah i mean and i don't know if this has anything to do with 
contract talk because it was kind of cryptic the way he said it. But short in the midst of all of this Kanye ranting and Hit Boy saying what he was saying, Saha posted a thing on his Instagram that just said "Free Saha." What? I don't know what that means. And so, like, I got some DMs from people like, yo, did you see this? And I'm like, yeah, I saw it, but I don't know what it means. And, like, I had a couple of conversations with people trying to figure out what exactly that was about. Does that mean, like, free me from this contract? I'm assuming he's not in jail. Maybe it, is, maybe it literally means free Saha. But, like, it didn't seem that way based off some of the comments what people were making, you know, in in the comments of the thing, like two chains was in there laughing and other things. So I figured, okay, it must not be serious. Like he's in trouble. But mm-hmm. when I saw Free Saha, I said, it's interesting that he's talking about freedom, presumably from Kanye, and <laughs> here Kanye is talking about freedom from, I guess, the evil white music industry that is taking advantage of him and his. You know, I guess lack of business acumen. Or but but that is it. Raises a lot of questions as far as what are the deal situations with artists that came over to Def Jam through good music. Like, is there a breakdown where Big Sean masters are tied up in Kanye? Same thing with Saha. Same thing with uh, Pusha T. Same thing with Tiana Taylor. We don't know how people's deals are broken down. And right. who has what say and who owns what. That's why these conversations are so bizarre is because we're not supposed to know. The contracts yeah, really are business. private. So when Kanye is coming forward with his stuff and pitting it publicly, like I wonder, ultimately, do we start to see a ripple effect when people start to get more candid about who has what and who owns what? Because he's not the only one with a public microphone. Right. I, I could I can imagine within the next couple of years that this is not the norm, but if you're getting into business with somebody, there is always the chance that that NDA is broken and that all your business will be on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I guess I gotta give credit where credit is due. I mean, look, if we're gonna talk about the evils of the music industry and uh, role models who could speak to that. Um, there was always Prince, the late great Prince. You know, he was talking about how the music industry is a slave ship, like for what, most of his career. But I do have to at least acknowledge Kanye's tremendous influence even still, especially on the regarding the next artist we're gonna talk about. I understand that, you know, unfortunately we've had to speak about this for music generation after music generation. And so if Kanye's going to be the person to i guess inform you know whoever need who haven't whoever hadn't heard that the first time then so be it that's maybe the one positive thing i see from this can, can i piggyback off your prince point because i just watched an interview that prince did with bt is prince shaka khan and larry graham and they're talking about how Prince, after he got his Warner deal, he helped Shaka Khan get out of her deal and that they were on BET discussing what freedom is. And Prince was saying that between him, Shaka and Larry, that their musical relationship was something that did not involve no contracts, that they only involved love. That we're working based off love. We don't need no contracts. We're not going to do each other wrong. He was like, I believe that a contract creates the opportunity for someone to double cross you. It's saying that I don't trust you. 
Now, I disagree with that completely, but like it would not surprise me if that's where we see Kanye goes next, that he's sitting on big platforms with artists that he's helping get to independence and how they're talking about they're moving toward a non-contractual collaboration, a non-contractual relationship. Like if that's the next step for Kanye, that could be interesting just to see what happens if he starts to promote those kind of ideas. Because I've seen Prince do it. That's the next thing that Prince did after one. And I need to dig deeper to see how that all unfolded. But in that interview, mm-hmm. I think it was like 1988, maybe, where they're just being very candid about removing themselves from that way of thinking about the music business. They're mm-hmm. talking about independence. Larry Graham is talking about how he is able to make more money selling his CDs for uh, himself at shows versus selling them through the record label. Like a lot of the talk that they're doing at that round table, I'll send it to you two, sounds like what we're hearing today. Sounds like what we hear when we talk about Nipsey Hustle selling the hundred dollar mixtape. So much of the language of independence is getting away from the labels. But that's such an old talk. I'm I'm interested yeah. in seeing where like what's the new vocabulary gonna be when we get away from the labels? What is it gonna be when we start to talk about real independence and not having to have the machine because we've been doing this same dance for so long I, i'm interested in seeing what happens when we actually get away from it well i mean i feel like this seems to be the sentiment in life in general beyond just music right like people are trying to get away from uh government interference inept uh, you know uh, inept government people are trying to get away from these government institutions People are trying to get away from these corporate institutions and like separate themselves from these systems that basically haven't really been serving anyone but a small segment of people, i.e. In, in the music cases, like, you, know, you know, major artists who sell huge amount of records. I mean, part of me can't help but think that amongst all the other reasons that we talked about, about why Kanye might be doing this, I can't put it past him that Maybe he's doing this just because he feels a type of way about Drake. I'm pretty sure that Drake at this point has way... If he doesn't have more money than Kanye, his business certainly seems to be flourishing without the complaining of contracts or any of that kind of thing. He doesn't seem to be having this kind of problem. And like, even though Pusher raps about, you know, there's all these people in your pocket... I mean, that's a pretty big ass house he got. Like, I feel like he's getting a lot of money. Yeah, big big pocket. pocket. So, like, whatever they're taking out of Drake's pocket, I feel like isn't really hurting Drake that much because he seems to have everything he wants and more that he doesn't even need based off however his contracts are set up with all of these intertwined entities. I mean, maybe it's just that you can save a lot of money by filming a Tootsie Sly video at your house. Then there's that. You, Maybe. If, if, if you build a $50 million compound, then you don't have to... It's a studio set forever. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to scout locations for videos and recording budgets and all these things. I just wake up in the morning and I do shit. But I like I like this vengeful plan, or not plan, but vengeful plot that you have mapped out in your head where it's like, okay, this is the long game for revenge. Yes. <laughs> back at- yes. <laughs> I'm going to stick it to Kanye every way I can. No, no. John might be onto something. Because Drake has, 
he has entered the major label system without complaint. We really haven't seen Drake complain openly about his situation. We've seen At Drake all. thrive in his situation. So Kanye now on the outs because he's he's not the top dog anymore. But if he wants to play the major label game, he has to compete with Drake. He's not trying to do that. But if you want to play the independent game, who are you competing with? You get a chance to be the new Moses because you, you're taking a different route. You're cutting Drake off because you're not playing the same game anymore. You know, like, and that's the thing. Kanye is petty enough to do this. He really is. Like, after the Scooby-Doo Poop song on that beat that was for Drake, <laughs> after I saw that, I knew deep down inside he despised, he despises yeah. Drake. And he's that at any angry. corner, at any corner, he's going to try to undercut him. So we'll see. But speaking of Drake and kind of how Drake moves, I think Drake sets up the industry to be uh are you going to outwork your situation? Because that's one thing that Drake does. Drake has created himself to be a hit factory. So he streams extremely well. And he does so much as far as like being a featured artist that I think that there's just enough stream of income to keep him from being in the red. And I think a lot of artists are going to look at Drake as the, the prototype for how you get a deal and then you run through the system. I see it. I see, and I think the uh, the other artist we're gonna talk about today, Baby Keem, is almost prime for a situation like this. I think he's young enough to see the see the scene. He has a he has a tone, he has a voice, he has a style that I believe is gonna be very popular. And if he's able to spread himself wide enough, he can hit a lot of different pockets. Yeah. So I I think we should. I think we should back up real quick and kind of set the stage for why we're talking about Baby Kim in addition to bigger picture ideas, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So he just released two songs, right? Um, What was it? Hooligan? Hooligans, yep. And then uh, Sons and Critics? Sons and Critics. Do I have that? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Got you. So he comes out with this two pack and there's a visual for Hooligan. And what's interesting about the Hooligan visual comes at the very end. So past all the lip syncing or whatever, it's the logos that appear on the screen. And there's one logo in particular. Um, what was it? The PG Lang, mm-hmm. I want to say. Lang, mm-hmm. That's an interesting situation because that pertains to the label situation that we were talking about. So if someone could explain what PG Lang is, that would be awesome. There's still a big question mark about PG Lang. It has not had the clearest introduction, but... Okay, so it wasn't just me. I was like, I feel like I'm missing something other than the names attached. Okay. I I believe it's intentionally obscure. They have not been in... Because I think when it was first announced, and this was earlier this year too, it was first announced as like a service company specializing in music, film, television, art, books, and podcasts. And the website came out with hoodies. I believe they had like a couple of hoodies you could buy. And the real reason why PG Lang was a headline making announcement was because it was done in partnership between Kendrick Lamar and Dave Free. Now, Dave Free used to be a part of TDE, but it was announced that he broke apart from TDE. So PG Lang is the first thing that he has came out as his new uh, entity since leaving Top Dog and Kendrick obviously being 
uh, collaborated with Dave Free. They have the production company, The Little Homies, where they would shoot a lot of their Kendrick's videos. So they have close ties already. Now, what PG Lang is, again, they have never really came out and spoke about it. There's no interviews with Kendrick and Dave Free. No one's explained clearly what the operation is. So then last week, when Baby King released these records, uh, even if you go to the Apple Music or Spotify title, you can see that PG Lang is at the bottom of the songs as the imprint. And uh, I think uh, PG Lang and Columbia Records. So Baby Keem being in this deal, I find that to be extremely interesting. Extremely, as, first, as the first artist of PG Lang, as the first artist to be, you know, ushered out by Kendrick Lamar. I don't think Kendrick has ever co-signed a new act before. So we're we're well, looking at we're looking at Kendrick enter that phase of his career because we've seen Drake do it with OVO. We've seen so J. Cole do it. Times. Yeah, we've seen so we've seen everyone times. do it, but Kendrick has not yet took the space of like a label head or even someone who, hey, I'm picking the guys now. Right. I'm picking the next ones up, and he picked Baby King. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, I think it only further builds, uh, not builds, but I think it only further drives like all the rumor mill, right? Or that's what I come to understand about Baby Keem. I mean, it was just that all of a sudden he appeared out of nowhere. He's barely a child, barely an adult, barely in a child, whatever. <laughs> and he is getting all these amazing credits. All of a sudden, it's like, he is working with, you know, fucking Schoolboy Q, J-Rock. Like, he's fucking on the Black Panther soundtrack. You're just like, how how does this kid work? And then you hear him. And that's when you get real conspiratorial. Like, as somebody who hasn't listened all that much to Baby Keem, even I hear it. I'm like, what, what has this kid done with and or for Kendrick? What the fuck? Yeah, no, I don't... Um. I'm still interested in everything that surrounds Kendrick and Keem and Dave Free. Because you're right, to your point, I think it is purposefully obscure. But why is it obscure? Like, is it obscure just for marketing sake? Because Kendrick is kind of an aloof, obscure figure who is like, you know, he exists in real life. But it's like, when you're going to see him again, who knows? (laughs) And then there's the, the... part of day free leaving TDE, but still rocking with Kendrick and not that it's, I mean, maybe I'm sure the story will come out one day. Not that it's any of our business, I guess why day free isn't with TDE anymore. Maybe he just wanted to do his own thing. Who knows? I mean, there's a million reasons why people leave companies, but the fact that he's still Kendrick is still rocking with him in this way in a brand new venture. It just makes me wonder what is going on over there it just it it leaves way more questions than answers and it's like if you're launching a new business venture wouldn't you it's not you know it's not like a movie where you don't want to give spoilers it's kind of like don't you want to give people some information about what exactly (laughs) is happening (laughs) like like so i'm just trying to figure out like what is the angle here and still i'm as confused as i was when i first saw that pg lang video three four months ago Mm -hmm. 
Maybe they just don't want the mixtape DMs. Do you think it could be as simple as that? I think anything that you attach Kendrick Lamar and Dave Free to is going to get SoundCloud links. Yeah, you can't avoid I don't that. Th- I don't think there's anything they can do about it. They put Guaranteed. out an email address. Guaranteed that they put out an email address for this PG Lane company. <laughs> Someone is going to send them some SoundCloud links. A thousand percent. <laughs> no question about it. But to Jao's point, you really can't have an obscure business defeats the point of having a business like you want people to know what they're buying into to, to know what it is to make yeah. them excited to participate <laughs> yeah, hoodies no are dope idea. i appreciate hoodies but like what am i even buying a hoodie for like <laughs> oh that would be the ultimate can you imagine wearing a pg lang hoodie and then you run into somebody and like oh what's that about you know what i have no i have no idea. i have no i just think kendrick lamar did i just bought it because <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy so i just i don't you know, the, the, I'm still I'm very confused about the marketing and like the public announcements of PG Lang, but I'm I'm willing to wait, I guess, and find out. Now, what do we think of the actual songs? Is I'm especially asking you guys because I'm not as familiar with Baby Keen, but I I have my feelings about it. What do you guys think? Y'all go first. Me and Ja discovered Baby Keen at the same time. <laughs> that was an interesting <laughs> way to discover That's so baby. cute. How did that this happen? I love a friendship story. We <laughs> <laughs> was at the Revenge of the Dreamer sessions. I don't remember what day it was. And yeah, they uh, all kind of mold They together. all blur together. But we were in the foyer area of Tree Sounds. And it was, um, what's my man's name? From producer. Where? The producer. Monty? Nah, uh-uh. Cal? Cal. Cal. Yeah. Cal was playing records, and he started playing this, he's like, dirty, dirty beat. I think it turned out to be French freestyle, Ja. Yeah. And just really aggressive, and this kid just comes on with these yes, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you just saw everyone's eyes, like, just, like, bug out. I was like, who is that? And he was like, it's Baby King. So I was like, who's Baby Keem? And Childish Major came over. I was like, oh, you don't know Baby Keem? And that's how I feel like, is this kid a secret? People were just like, yeah. you don't, you don't, so, you, so you don't know Keem? And then he, think he played like two or three other records. And the thing about Baby Keem, he just sounds like a delinquent. Like he just yeah. sounds like a Dennis the Menace figure who is going around like stealing tennis shoes beating up folks like he just seems like a bad kid but it's like if you left like an apple pie to cool on the windowsill baby king would probably come and like he's gonna dig a scoop me or snatch a piece of your apple pie like dip off and you're gonna come back to your kitchen like where's my apple pie and king will be down the street with crumbs on his shirt like yeah wow it's literal mischief so that's what made it fun because it wasn't like like evil (laughs) he's not a bad kid he's not a bad seed he's just like he gets in the shit yeah. So that's what juvenile, I found. Juvenile delinquency over beats. Black Air Force yes. Ones, for sure. There's Black mm-hmm. Air Force Ones is becoming its own genre of music. NBA Young Boy, Baby Keem, like just people who makes you want to like step on somebody. So if I see a journalist write that shit, we all know where we got that <laughs> yeah, shit from. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 let's yeah. make that pay, perfectly pay, clear. pay homage. Pay homage. But these I are, also go ahead. Wait, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So at this time. Is Baby Keem actually a mysterious figure? Because there was one point where I think in 2018 
he's being literally photographed as like a shadowy figure. It's like you've seen his name in the credits, but mm-hmm. you've never seen what he actually looks like. Well, so he, is he actually a shadowy figure well, well, at this point? Well, to, to that point, everything Yo is saying is 100% correct. The other part of it is, is that his name was like wafting through the tree sound air at like this dull roar of like, Baby Keem, Baby Keem, Baby Keem. In little corners, people are saying Baby Keem, and it's like, what the hell is going on here? And they're like, yeah, he's Keem. not at the sessions. It's he's not, not there at all. <laughs> he's like, not there. You would his name is in you, you thought he was right in the middle of the sign in the kitchen, like eating up Molly's macaroni and cheese. Like, wow. it was just being said, and it was just like, at that point, I had no idea. Never heard the name Baby Keem, had no idea what it was. People started talking about his connection to Kendrick and like how he works with TDE and all of these things. I, okay, cool. I oh, guess shit. so. Like I had no idea. And then when I finally heard that first tape, I was like, Oh, this is the kid. That, okay. Now I get it. Oh, so, okay. I, I, I enjoy baby King for what he does, which is, I think like rambunctious, high energy, just baby chaos. It's baby chaos. It's mm-hmm. almost like raging, <laughs> but not all the way there. Like it's not as aggressive as Travis, but it is just bad seed energy. So these two records that came out, Hooligan and Sons and Critics, like I didn't feel that energy as much. Like Hooligan feels way more polished than anything from his first two mixtapes. Mm-hmm. And Sons and Critics just it does feel like a freestyle, just like him just running a monk and that's what i found really interesting because hooligan just sounds like a single this sounds like the one that's going to get the radio push this is the one they're going to like market versus sons and critics which is just simply for the people who like to hear the kid rap i don't mm-hmm. know i don't know where they're going to try and take him from here because i can hear in hooligan is it's an energy that establishes himself as a leader of the kids like i could see kids really eating it up and kids really making him their artist the way they did travis travis became the kids artist first like he had carved out like a niche audience that was built up over time so when he does a mcdonald's commercial the kids are going crazy i see keem in mcdonald's commercials if they continue to work him as this new hero of the children, you know, like he's their baby. He's the one for them. That's how I see him. I really feel like he's going to be that, that new generation artist that they're going to try to grow with this audience. But I don't know what direction because, like I said, the energy is shifting. It's not as like chaotic. It's way more polished. And I don't know how they're going to be react to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in in where it goes. I do agree with you that he's definitely the kids artist. Um you know, if if you are if you are any teen, any level of teenager, mm-hmm. I expect you to kind of be tapped in with Baby Keem in in some way shape form or fashion. Um but that said, it's kind of like it, it could be one of those Tyler the Creator things because Keem produces too, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it could be one of those things where this is what Keem starts off as and in 
eight, nine years, baby Keem might mean a whole different thing than it means yeah. right now. So That's I mean, he has a he has a lot of room to to grow, but to have already gotten his teeth into people this early in this kind of way, it is interesting because you know because of who he's affiliated with and how what his trajectory looks like is getting ready to be. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I think we all respect Kendrick, and you know, Dave Free is a big part of obviously Kendrick's music as he works with him. You know, on a management A&R type of level, but even just how we see Kendrick, how Kendrick Lamar is presented to the world with the, you know, the All Right video and mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, his his visuals and the Humble video and all of these things that have, like, kind of cemented Kendrick Lamar as a creative icon. Like, Dave Free's DNA is in that work. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. But Put as far as the records right? go... Yeah, 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 absolutely. But like, as far as these records go, like, I guess they sound cool. It, it, you know, I don't. It took me two listens to even really put my finger on what was moving people about King mm-hmm. when I first listened to the first mixtape. Because at first it was like, okay, I can I can see people being annoyed by his voice, but they're reacting to it in a positive way. So I'm tr- I'm sitting there really trying to like read through the music and like see what he's got going on. And once it kind of finally clicked for me, I was like, oh yeah, I like this kid. Like I like his attitude. Oh. And to, and to Yo's point, it's like like you said, he's Dennis the Menace. It's an attitude. It's one hundred percent attitude. But it's also like when I hear his music, I think the Dennis the Menace part because of his voice, his delivery, the cadences. But then the music makes me think of like a gothic, a super dark, where his voice is so animated and lively. It's almost like he's in like a, uh, it's almost like he's rapping in a noir state. (laughs) Like like a, like a 1920s, like Sin City gumshoe type of violent, chaotic sound over this child who was saying these (laughs) crazy and obnoxious things about the models he dates and, and, and <laughs> the weed he smokes and like all of this crazy shit. It's like, wow, I don't think I've ever heard someone this young be presented in this kind of way as far as just the production and how it sounds. So I'm not, a, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of either of these two records, but I see where they fit into the Baby King Matrix. The baby key matrix. Yeah. Oh my god. He's building mm-hmm. a matrix. Cause he's he's built to last, I would say. Like he's guaranteed at least to be here for the next couple of years if he wants to be. Like he's double XL freshman, just signed with Kendrick. They just announced that. So we're gonna see him. And he yeah. can be anything. You know, I, I like how Josh said that he can take a Tyler the Creator out who is extremely transformative. You know, baby Keem can drop the baby at any time and just be Keem. Right. And, you know, that can open up all sorts of doors. And if you look at him, he looks young. Like, he looks yeah. like a kid. He, he has such a baby face. He has a yeah, no, a thousand percent. He looks like any of the kids that are walking around Linux Mall right now with Adidas track pants and Jordans on. Yo, <laughs> I when I saw him live, that kind of got me. I was like, man, he looks like the people in the crowd. It wasn't yeah. like he looked like he wasn't one of them. He looked literally like his fans. 
like he just got out the crowd, got on stage, <laughs> and now I'm rapping for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> no different because there's nothing like there's no crazy hair, there's no crazy jewelry, there's nothing distinguishable that says that is the rapper we're here for. He looks like I came here to see Baby King. Right. He looks so like he came to see Baby King of, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. But that might be the charm. The charm of him is he's one of us, which is why he's right. our guy. I think when I look at everyone else on the Double XL freshman cover, he's the one I believe has a core that that doesn't really make sense because he hasn't had like the super big records. Like I think Orange Soda did really well, but other than like breakthrough songs, I haven't seen it. Like I haven't seen the one that makes him a household name yet. Yeah, no, I don't think he's yeah. put out anything that's even sniffed the mainstream. But no, no. I, mean, I think Orange Soda, Orange Soda was cool. No, well, I no, think, no, I think, I think that's record. exactly what it is. But are yeah, they playing Orange Soda in Gap? Are they playing Orange Soda in J. Crew yet? Nah. Or Banana Republic? That's what I'm saying. Nah, like, okay, like, you're right. Like, do the soccer bombs know about this song? Like, that's what I'm saying when I say mainstream. I just meant like I got I don't you. know if you I, I don't know if it's hard. Like nowadays I don't even know what underground means because like I look at Kim, I don't think underground artists, but he's definitely not mainstream. But I yeah. know that, you know, he has the huge streaming numbers. I know that like there's a as a legit fan base of people who are actively engaged in Baby Keem. But yeah, there's nothing to me. He doesn't strike me as anything close to mainstream yet. You're right. I, I was looking at my back, Christina. I was just saying that Orange Soto went platinum as a right. certification. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking about old platinum, new platinum. You can it's totally different. crazy. You you <laughs> went platinum. You went platinum in like eight cities where the people know you in those eight cities, and that was enough streams to make you go platinum. But like the rest of the country is like baby keen. Still matters, <laughs> but you're right. There is it's, it's really hard to classify where an artist is based on certifications, based on release, and based on notoriety when all of these things are constantly in flux. It's so digital that it's just hard. And then we're in this situation now where we can't be outside, so I can't mm. even feel, I can't even really touch the street to know if this is where people are. Like, I'm not at a red light where I hear the song blasting um, out of my car as much as I would be. And so it's just, it's difficult to gauge, but I can, it, it does appear that he does have legit fans. And obviously they seem like they're younger kids, but like he's clearly building something. Clearly. I think reckoning with baby Keem must be like meeting Bruce Wayne. If he was a real life figure, mm. like, and I'm specifically picturing, um, Val Kilmer, Bruce Wayne, for whatever reason. I don't know. I prefer I prefer the bad the bad Batman movies, but that's fine. But like, so imagine this nerd type, Nicole. I'm Nicole Kidman in this situation. Okay. I'm trying to meet Bruce Wayne. I'm trying to get to know him. We're finally getting comfortable in the mansion. And then Bruce Wayne's like, I got to go. That's baby Keem. Because he is doing some shadowy ass things that we don't quite understand. We don't know and we feel yet. the impact being in Gotham City but we just can't articulate it yet because uh, Kendrick Lamar and Dave Free don't want to tell us shit. That's how I feel about Baby Keem right now. I had now. no idea where you were going with that. You kind of <laughs> stuck the landing. You brought it home. Yeah. You really did. Uh, I was like, ah, okay. Because okay. I, I agree. He is a shadowy figure. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a very, very shadowy figure. 
Which is interesting because, like, I don't feel like, I mean, I know this isn't TDE, but I mean, just from who's involved, that that doesn't seem like a page out of their playbook. Like, Mm -hmm. TDE isn't maybe the most, like, forthcoming. They're not, like, bubbling over with information for fans and everything that's going on every day. But I also don't look at them as secretive necessarily either. But on the onset, I remember the Billboard cover stories. I remember the mm-hmm. invites to the TDE garage that doubled as the headquarters. Mm-hmm. We got to see almost vicariously how this label was being built right. and how it was being built off of these particular artists. We're not being granted that access right now. So to some extent, we have actually been accustomed to Kendrick's world as mm-hmm. it was being built. But now we're being closed off. Yeah, it's totally closed off. And there's so much going on behind those closed doors. Like you hear the noise, you hear the ruckus, you hear this excitement, there's maybe some fun going on in there, but no one's coming to the door to let you in, really. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like, you gotta just have to enjoy it from outside <laughs> until <laughs> you have to have, like, it's like going to a concert <laughs> that they're not playing for you. <laughs> and you kind of just have to That's listen the from worst. the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of just have to listen at the door until they decide to like open a window or like allow a couple of people to come in. And it's like, oh, okay, this is what y'all were doing in here these past two and a half years. That's exactly how it's going to be, too. When they open that door, we're going to be like, oh. That's what it is. That's what it is. You've been Batman this whole time. (laughs) This whole time. time. Yeah. This is gonna be interesting. Cause like I said, he's he's gonna be here around and we're gonna we're gonna watch him grow. Definitely. Well well speaking of growth, I feel like um we were bringing up Tyler the Creator a couple times when talking about Keem. And that's a perfect segue into our last topic of conversation, which is this mashup project by DJ Critical Hype. I know he's done a couple before, like Wu Chang's and The Damn Chronic, uh, but his most recent project is called Andre, and it's mashing together Andre 3000 rap verses with Tyler, the Creator instrumentals. I didn't see this one coming. I just didn't. Me neither. Yeah, I had no idea. And I saw him, I think I saw him tweeting about it like maybe a day or two before it came out. And I was like, okay, that's kind of a cool idea. I'll see what it's about. And then from the first record I heard, I was like, oh, wow, this is, I didn't even know I wanted this in my life. (laughs) And now I do. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's here. And now it's arrived. Um, It seems like, first of all, I can't even imagine the amount of work that went into something like this. Yeah. Period. Because for those who haven't listened, there's like, what, 34 tracks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of mashing up. So much mashing up. And at least from what I understand about mashing up, it's not literal like cut and paste. Like, okay, it's like two parts. Uh, I understand the process is probably a lot more intricate, especially since Outcast acapellas don't really exist. I know Tyler, the creator, released one instrumental album, but I don't even know how you extract an Andre 3000 verse out of something as distinct as like the outcast songs or whatever solo work he's done. It's just crazy. That's a good question. I don't know where he would have, I don't know how he pulled all of these (laughs) acapellas together. I think he hand makes them. Like he goes through the process of cleaning up the records. That's a lot of work. I really want to know how long it takes. 
Because if you listen, the Andre vocals sound really clear. It sounds super clear. Like, super crisp. So that's always the first thing I listen for when I click on mashups. Is like, all right, what are the vocals like? And I think he nailed just Andre, period. Like, if you just want to hear Andre rap over Tyler Beats, this is like a really great way of envisioning what that would look like. Right. Because it's a, it's a very, like, concise translation of these beats, of these rhymes. And that's what really got me. He made them just fit together. And I never imagined Tyler and Andre in any kind of collaborative way. No, yo, you said when I listen to mashups, like genuine question, how often does this actually come up? How often are you listening to mashups? <laughs> My taste is random. But I'll come across <laughs> I'll come across things. I just come across things. Like I, I came across a, a, a MF Doom Nas mashup. That I thought was fascinating. Oh, wow. Yeah, like I just have some weird stuff on the computer I can send you that's just just checking out websites, digging through archives of blogs. You come across a lot of different things. Plus, Critical Hype does a lot of different mashups. So I always try to tune into his stuff because it's just it's interesting. It's almost like an alternate reality where you can take an artist, you can take a sound that have never been put together and smash them like fucking food just throw together something that you would never imagine work and that's what i like about mashups they they play with your imagination Mm -hmm. the other interesting thing with this is that even though i don't i don't consciously think about tyler and andre together but it does kind of make sense especially when i started listening to the tape because it makes me feel like um stankonia like I feel like all the other Ooh. Outcast albums were pretty clean and pretty like mellow to a degree, and Stankonia was just like chaos on all kinds of levels, from like Bombs Over Baghdad to um, Spaghetti Junction to Gangsta Shit to. Uh, I call before I come, like these sounds and everything was like, it wasn't just organized noise playing dope ass instruments and with, with you know, with, with the funky bass line and letting them do their thing. Now you're talking really like, to me, Stankonia is more out of space than Equimini, which, you oh, know, sure. where you see, or AT Aliens, where you see them actually being, you know, these characters, but like, Stankonio sounds crazy. And when I think of Tyler's production, I think of chaos. I think of like hard edge sounds and like sounds that maybe don't even necessarily like go together in a traditional kind of way. But you put Andre's voice over it and that shit sounds harmonious. I really like that comparison a lot because I was trying to think of how... They sound like it sounded like Kendrick Spears, but I just couldn't quite put my finger on like exactly why. And I think that's a great point. It's a great point. It's like we've kind of seen Andre 3000 flirt with like this genre blurring and bending and all this kind of stuff. But putting him to a Tyler, the creator instrumental makes that image and that sound all the more blatant. It's like, oh, we actually get to hear it to the fullest extent. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um. This makes me want to revisit the Grey album, which I have not done. 
since it dropped. But I think it could be cool for us because Danger Mouse was in Atlanta and Athens. So technically it's Southern Roots uh, and stuff. You know, I never heard the Grey album. Really? It's always been on my list. Yeah, never got around to it. The Grey album was actually, it might have been an actual first hip hop album that was a mashup in that kind of way that I actually listened to. Like wrote, like actually played as like regular part of music, like as an I, album. I have, as an album, yeah. Like I might have heard other songs before, but there weren't any real mashup projects prior to that that I even really cared about at that time. You know, because the Grey album was what probably two thousand four, yeah, four or five, something like that. At that point, I was kind of just give me the new music, whatever the actual <laughs> new music is. Like I didn't really care for. You know, uh, even the idea of a mashup kind of didn't really appeal that much to me. But I listened to it because I was like, all right, let me just see what this is. And the results were like way more than I thought I would get out of it. Man, man. Mashups are novelty. They're novelty releases. And for Mm -hmm. them to really stick with you, they have to nail something. Right. Right. They have to kind of spark a, oh, I need this regularly, not just as a treat. And I think a yeah. good mashup does that. It makes you re-envision the music where hearing Andre over Tyler Beats is something you crave now. Something you go out and seek more and more. Not just like, oh, I heard that. And there's moments on the album where I'm like, oh yeah, this would make so much sense on the album. Like if it actually landed on the Outcast album, you would be like, this fits. This, this fits. It's not out of, it's not out of mm-hmm. their wheelhouse. Nah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, how often did Outcast? work with the Neptunes. I, to Did my it actually not, happen? Yeah, to my knowledge, I, it never happened. I didn't think it happened either, which is because, Jai, you mentioned Stangonia, which was released in the 2000s. Right. So, also released the same day as Stangonia was Jay-Z's uh, Dynasty album. And on yep. the Dynasty album, you have Just Blaze, you have Kanye West, you have the Neptunes. So, you have all of these 2000 producers on one album, then you have the Outcast album, which was only produced by Earth Tone 3. Yeah, so if you think about it, Andre and Big Boy are becoming like the biggest artists in rap at the same time as some of the biggest producers are coming into the game. Like a Neptune's collaboration makes so much sense. So I've just been wondering, why did it not happen? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not exactly sure what was going on at that time. Because timing-wise... was just on their own orbit at that time. Yeah. but go on with your thought. Yo. No, I was just thinking timing-wise, that overlap, it just seemed like it could have been so seamless. Like mm-hmm. it, yeah, and, just and it would have made total sense. I mean, NERD and Outkast seem like something that everyone could get into. I got to find out why it didn't happen. I need to <laughs> you, get to the you bottom mean, are of you, it. Are you going to rate them? No. Are you going to rate them? Hopefully, I meet, why not? I meet D-Ray. He's going to be like, have you met Pharrell? Have you met for real? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping is going to happen. It'll be just like that. It's just like that. And then I'll ask him. <laughs> that is amazing. That will probably happen. Just because you said it like that, it will probably, you'll probably walk I into can like. see it. You'll be in a random place and you'll look up and you'll see that blue vest and you'll be like, is that DeRay? He's like, yo, what's up, DeRay? Like, oh, yo. Do you know Pharrell? Do you know Do you know Timbaland and Swiss Beats? They're all right here, right now. Have Have you guys met yet? Have, have you, you met? Have you, Have you been properly introduced yet? You haven't allowed me to introduce you to them. 
I'm never going to stop thinking about that, by the way. That's what he does <laughs> at events. Introduce people to somebody famous. I got to ask David Dennis who it was. He told me the story. Because when I told the story, he said, yeah, that's what he does. He did the same thing with me. I forget <laughs> where they were at and what was going on. But he said he introduced him to someone super famous that was like, he asked him, did he know the person first? He was like, no, why would I know that person? And then that person like appeared before them, like, here, here's this person who you just said you didn't know. <laughs> uh, damn, I'm mad. I can't and then my question that. after that is, do famous people invite DeRay anywhere anymore? Because you've got to imagine, <laughs> famous people just want to kind of keep to themselves, to other famous people, and then it's well, just Well, I like, will say this. Both DeRay and MC Hammer were just in the middle of gin pop. Like with Complex Con, when you, the way it was set up was, you know, people, the whole thing was in one, audit, not auditorium, but in one convention center. So they had one huge hall of the convention center that they had the stage for the concert. And then the rest of the convention center was just Complex Con. So there wasn't any real VIP section per se. Like if you want to come to Complex Con, you're going to be here with all of us. Mm, and okay. so like they were literally just standing in the midst of thousands of other people just kind of walking around and it was like in the middle of all these people probably minding their business there was mc hammer talking about sneakers incredible well you know he's real big into tech he's been real big in tech for like probably a decade or more now so like i'm i'm guessing maybe he just came to complex con to see what kinds of techie things might have been going on at the convention that year? Just kind of hang out? I don't know. I'm still baffled that MC Hammer hangs out at ComplexCon. It's such a useful thing. Like, at this point in his... <laughs> not, to, not to call him old. Not to disrespect Hammer. But, but that's not... But you don't expect to see MC Hammer at ComplexCon. I don't expect to see MC I Hammer I just don't anywhere. expect to see him out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. I don't know what he's doing at any time of the day. But I'm not he's thinking... He's not in line at McDonald's. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, he's not out and about with the rest of us. He's with the Yeah. No. He's, he's a mythical figure. Definitely out of here. Wow. Wow. Well... <laughs> On that note, on next episode of Something to Say, we solve the mystery of MC Hammer. MC um, Hammer's whereabouts will be discussed. Let's get him on the episode, John. You can make it happen. I would. You I would. You met him. I would. See, you met him. You know him now. That would be kind of cool to get MC. That, you know what? I'm gonna try to figure that out because not for nothing, MC Hammer does have Atlanta roots. There you go. And he, does, he, so he does have Atlanta roots. Questions. I have yeah. so many questions for him. I'm gonna work on that. I don't know. I can't give you a. Uh, I can't give you a a potential date, but I'm going to work on that in my spare time. I'll try to figure out a way to get MC Hammer on the show. Amazing. Yes. Well, you heard it here first. Yes. You heard did. it here first. And until then, um, something to say is produced by Michael Saba out here in the SWATs. If you are interested in helping support in this podcast, we greatly appreciate it. By the way, head over to Patreon.com/slash something to say. 